Hey guys, real quick before we get started, we are doing a free giveaway for listeners between now and May 31st. Cash prizes, free swag, Yacht Meetup tickets, San Diego Padre tickets, and more. All you got to do to qualify is go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and drop a five-star review. Send a screenshot to giveaway at summerscapital.com and we'll be selecting lucky winners May 31st. As always, I appreciate the support. Now let's jump into the show. You know, like most people, I was taught this way as well. Um, go to school, get good grades, go to college and get a job. And when you do those things, it benefits those three pillars. So mm-hmm. when you go to college, uh, you know, they slap on some student loan debt. That's cash flow for the banking system. Uh, and then what do they tell you? They say, go get a high paying job. But when you have a high paying W-2 job, you pay the highest taxes and that's cash flow for the government. And then they tell you, play it safe, diversify, invest in your 401k. Mm-hmm. And that's cash flow for Wall Street in the form of fees. And then they tell you, go buy a, you know, a single family home, start a family. And then now they lock you in a 30 year mortgage and that's cash flow for the central banking system. Welcome to the Rich Summers Report, where we talk real estate, business, and wealth building, all while keeping it real. No fluff, no BS. I hope that you enjoy the show. All right, guys. Welcome to another episode of The Report, another Saturday edition. And uh, with that, I got my co-host, Alex Johnson. Welcome, Alex. Thank you. How's it going? It's going really good. We've uh, we've had a busy uh, last week. We had a couple meetups last week. I feel like the summer has finally come to an end, and now we're kind of in the fall season. And you know, the sun is setting a different way. Uh, the weather's cooling off a little bit, but uh, we got the holidays right around the corner. And excited for it. And we also have the uh, our latest hotel project yep. uh, getting ready to uh, be done with that renovation. And uh, we're getting down to the final punch list items and gearing up for our grand opening, uh, hoping for last week of October. So we'll see. But excited. How, how's everything on your end? It's good. I'm looking forward to everything we have coming in the fall. I love fall time. So even you can tell with like the weather, it's getting a little bit crisper outside. Um, I just love all the things fall. So I know it's kind of basic, but you know, it's true. (laughs) Yeah, totally. We're going to have to host another uh, holiday party. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So excited to kind of see where that goes. I'm thinking either here at the office again, like last year, or maybe we do it at our new meetup venue. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Cool. Well, uh, we got some good questions this week. So excited to dive into it. Uh, So why don't you go ahead with the first one? All right. And thanks again for everyone that sent in their questions. We had some really good ones again. So keep them coming. All right. The first one we have today comes from Jared. Why do you think the school system doesn't teach real estate investing and business? Yeah, it's a good question. So in my opinion, um, you know, it's somewhat of a system, quote unquote. Uh, you got three things. You got Wall Street, you got the central banking system, and you got the federal government. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like most people, I was taught this way as well. Um, go to school, get good grades, go to college and get a job. And when you do those things, it benefits those three pillars. So mm-hmm. when you go to college, uh, you know, they slap on some student loan debt. That's cash flow for the banking system. Uh, and then what do they tell you? They say, go get a high paying job. But when you have a high paying W two job, you pay the highest taxes and that's cash flow for the government. And then they tell you, play it safe, diversify, invest in your 401k. Mm-hmm. And that's cash flow for Wall Street in the form of fees. And then they tell you, go buy a, you know, a single family home, start a family. And then now they lock you in a 30 year mortgage and that's cash flow for the central banking system. So in my opinion, I believe that they don't teach uh, real estate investing and entrepreneurship because 
they want to, uh, you know, benefit these three different pillars. And so I believe it is intentional that they want to breed uh, middle class people, myself included. I had no idea mm-hmm. real estate investing uh, was even an option uh, in entrepreneurship until my I would say my young 30s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just uh, it's kind of calculated to kind of keep everyone in, in their system, how they see fit, how it benefits them. So it's definitely interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I don't know. I, I didn't realize this growing up. I, I, I didn't know this was an option. And as I grow, I'm like, okay, I kind of see it more and more. Mm-hmm. To me, it's more and more apparent. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. That was a great one. Thanks, Jared. Next question comes from Matthew. Is it better to go into a high cash flow or high growth market in today's market cycle? This is a great question. So I think you know, early on when I first got into real estate investing, I was all about the cash flow. Um, I didn't care too much about the appreciation. I just wanted some passive income. And so I was going into markets uh, in the Midwest. Um, however, you know, in today's climate, you know, with where we are in the market cycle, um, you know, it's important. I need, I need two things to buy right now. One, I need to be able to buy at a discount. And two, I need to be able to add tremendous value to whatever it is I purchase because we are in a softening climate. Um, and the Fed has all the control with the interest rates right now. I don't think this rate environment is going to last forever. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if it lasts another six to 12 months. And so that said, um, a lot of these markets are going to continue to soften before they improve. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I want to pick up something at a discount and pick up something to where I can add a lot of value because it's going to give me a cushion um, and a buffer margin for error should the market continue to soften before it improves. Um, but I would say my perspective has changed in regards to this question. Should you buy for cash flow or should you buy in a higher growth market? Mm-hmm. I think ideally you buy for both, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so one thing that I like to do now is go into a high growth market, buy in a good location, try to find something at a discount, renovate, add a lot of value, refi, and then cash flow it. And even if I, uh, let's say I refi and I'm able to add enough value to where I pull all my money out of the deal, even if I'm breaking even at that point and I'm not making a lot of cash flow, I'm okay with that because over time with inflation, over time with rent growth, um, you know, that break even is going to turn into a nice cash flowing property over time because generally speaking, um, your expenses aren't going to go up as much as your income. And then lastly, you know, if a deal pencils right now with the higher interest rates, uh, you can refi a year from now, two years from now into a lower rate. And now you get a nice cash flowing asset in a high growth market. And over the course of 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, that high growth market is going to appreciate five times, 10 times as much as that cash flow market in the Midwest, let's say. True. There you go. I like that. Thanks, Matthew. All right. Next question comes from Ryan T. What are the biggest challenges as an Airbnb investor looking to buy their first hotel? You know, I think if you have experience operating uh, three, four, five Airbnbs, even two Airbnbs, uh, you have the fundamentals that it takes to go take down a boutique hotel. Um, you understand the guest communication, the housekeeping, the fundamentals of marketing, uh, pricing strategy, um, and the hospitality side of the business. But the biggest challenge is going to be, okay, the boutique hotel is a much larger asset. Mm-hmm. So unless you have deep pockets, you're probably going to have to go out and raise money or a joint venture with some partners. Um, and so you're going to have to learn the commercial side of these uh, these boutique hotels. 
you know, you go buy a traditional Airbnb, you go pull out a residential mortgage, it's a residential property. It's very easy to wrap your mind around. Mm-hmm. But uh, with a boutique hotel, you're buying a, a commercial property. And so it's a whole different uh, lending environment. Mm-hmm. Um, the criteria to get a commercial loan, you know, they don't give commercial loans. It's very challenging to get a commercial loan if you don't have yep. the experience mm-hmm. um, in, in the net worth. You're going to yeah. need a net worth equal to or greater than the loan amount. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't have that, it's okay. Um, there's different ways to leverage it. You can partner. You can bring in a loan guarantor that has it. Give them a slice of equity. Um, you can plug into groups like our Boutique Hotel Mastermind uh, where there's folks in there that will sign on the loans. Um, so there's different ways to get around that. The next challenge really is going to be uh, finding the right deal, mm-hmm. right? Um, how do you find the right deal? You're going to have to build out relationships with these brokers. Um, and then, you know, if you have, it's going to be a bigger thing. So, you know, wrapping your head around all that sort of stuff, uh, renovating the property, raising the capital, putting together these deals, um, and then keeping your nose out of trouble, um, mm-hmm. you know, having the right SEC attorney um, and all that sort of stuff. There's a lot of other stuff baked in. But I would say the biggest challenge is going to be just kind of getting used to getting in the commercial sides, uh, underwriting these deals, and then also uh, sourcing the capital and getting these things debted up. Yeah, definitely. And I think we, we're kind of learning a lot of that right now, too. But I, I do think, like you've kind of mentioned before, it is a next natural progression. Mm-hmm. And so if you can get in now, if you can learn as much as you can about it now, um, we definitely see that's where it's going. So I appreciate that question. Okay, next question comes from Jessica. Do you think the Airbnb space is oversaturated? If you are a busy professional and don't have time to invest in real estate, but still want to participate in the passive income and tax benefits, my team, Summers Capital, is buying a lot of boutique hotels right now. We source the deals, we renovate the properties, and we even do all the day-to-day management, making it truly hands-off for investors. If you want to learn more to see if we can help you, go to summerscapital.com slash invest to book a call with our team. Again, that's summerscapital.com slash invest. Now back to the show. I think a lot of markets are becoming oversaturated, especially the ones without short-term rental regulations. And I would say that doesn't mean you can't do well in those markets. Uh, You just have to bring a unique property and a unique product to the marketplace. And I think the markets that are actually better performing are the ones that have a higher, better entry. They have stricter regulations. Mm -hmm. Um, You just saw what happened with New York. New York, basically, like New York City just banned short-term rentals. um, And it's... You know, it's going to bode well for boutique hotels. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of these markets are going to continue to start regulating um, as time goes on. And I get it. You know, from a, a neighborhood perspective, if I owned a property and I was raising my family, um, I wouldn't necessarily want a bunch of Airbnbs on my cul-de-sac with a bunch of uh, transient guests and parties and that sort of thing. So I understand why the regulations are happening. It also um, takes away supply from the market. So yeah. um, it makes affordability, uh, it makes properties less affordable for the everyday people that want to just buy a primary residence. Um, but it also drives up rent prices. And so I think for those reasons... Um, I understand why the regulations are happening. So, yes, Jessica, the the Airbnb markets, a lot of them are becoming oversaturated. Doesn't mean you can't do good. You can go into more suburban areas, which um, Michael Elefante, our, our, our guest this past week, mentioned he does good with. Or go into a saturated market, but bring a unique product to the marketplace. Um, I know, like, you know, our property out in Scottsdale crushes because mm-hmm. it's very unique. And I know folks that are in... 
Kissimmee, Florida, uh, where there's 40,000 short-term rental listings, um, and they crush because they have a unique property. So um, I think those are two ways to get around it or get into the boutique hotel space. So I think those are the two options. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not all regulation is bad, so just have to learn how to pivot, I guess. All right, thanks, Jessica. Next question comes from TJ. What is the best way to source off-market deals? You know, I'm going to I'm going to answer this question uh, with the approach and mindset of like, hey, we're taking down commercial deals because that's kind of what we're doing. Right. Um, And I would say it's important to remember 98 percent or more of all commercial assets, whether it's multifamily, office, retail, boutique hotels. Those are all traded through a broker, Mm -hmm. whether it's on market or a pocket listing off market through a broker. And because those brokers have spent decades building relationships with these sellers. And so when the seller is finally ready to sell, you know, those brokers are going to have access to the, those deals. And so for what, for what I've found, what works best is to, instead of trying to find all these off market deals Mm -hmm. uh, in the, in, in the commercial space, and yes, they will, they will fall in your lap every now and then by building relationships, but I think the best source to buy these commercial deals is to build out really good relationships with all these brokers. And so get very clear on your search criteria, exactly what it is you're looking for. Like for us, we're looking for 10 to 40 units, boutique hotels, tired, uh, two to 10 million in purchase price in great locations. And we love seller financing opportunities. When you get very clear on your search criteria, you can go to these brokers and figure out which markets you want to be in. And you can find which brokers have the most transactions in their given markets and start with those, mm-hmm. call them, build out the relationship, put them on your list. And before you know it, you'll have 250 brokers on your list. You ping them, uh, you know, once every couple of weeks. Hey, Alex, happy Monday. Hope your weekend was great. Just checking in. Want to see if you have any deals uh, in your pipeline that you're working on that might fit our criteria. As a reminder, this is what we're looking for. Happy Monday. Thank you so much. And when you have 250 on your list, you're going to get a lot of deal flow. Yep. And it all comes down to timing. If you can find the right broker that um, has the deal flow and you can be on their short list because you got to think, how does a broker get paid? A broker mm-hmm. get paid, gets paid when a deal gets to the finish line, right? And so yep. they want to know, are you real? Can you close? Mm-hmm. Right. Because if they spent 10 years building the relationship with the seller and then they recommend you as the buyer, but you can't perform, you can't raise the money, you can't get the lending. Well, now they risk potentially losing that deal in that relationship with that seller. So they want to know, are you real? Can you perform? So you want to demonstrate those things to the broker. Yep. And when they have a good off market opportunity, guess what? They're going to bring it to their short list of buyers and you want to be one of those individuals. And next thing you know, you're getting first crack at an off market deal. Yeah, those are all good points. I think it's one of those things like with anything, it comes down to the relationships and just building those out and the follow-up too. The follow-up's yeah. everything. Yep. With everything in life. And yep. it's not just it's not just real estate investing. Yep. So all good points. Thanks, TJ. All right. And then lastly, our next question comes from the wellness realtor. What is the key to starting a successful podcast? It's a good question. So I had uh, for the folks that don't know, I had a podcast for three years. Um, an old podcast that's still going with my old partners. Mm-hmm. And it's called the, well, now it's called the Real Estate Takeoff. When I was with them, it was called the Multifamily Takeoff. And 
I did it for three years and I took everything I liked and didn't like about that podcast and then I, I made it into this one. One mistake that I, I thought that that we had made back then is it was the multifamily takeoff. So it was all about apartment investing. Mm-hmm. So every single episode was all apartment investing, which is cool. That's what we we're into. But it's very niche down. So yeah. one, it's going to be hard to really grow the listener base if you're just talking about apartments because you're only reaching a specific uh, person. Mm-hmm. But number two... Um, you know, I got tired of talking apartments for a hundred episodes. After a hundred episodes, I was like bored. Yeah, it's the same conversation every time. Like, <laughs> yeah, how, you know, how, how many apartment stories can you how hear? How can you spin it to make it different? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, if I'm getting bored, the listeners are probably getting bored too, right? And so, um, you know, they realize that, and I think that's why they're they're kind of more broad now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, be a little bit more broad, and then um, with your topics. So like with this podcast, I bring on. Anyone that has an inspiring story, whether mm-hmm. it's business, real estate, um, or they're killing it in whatever their perspective field is, like I want to, I want to learn about it, right? Um, and then, secondly, you know, I would say figure out how many times a week that you want to put out an episode. So with the old one I did, we did once a week. Um, I would say at a bare minimum, do once a week and mm-hmm. stick to it. Same day, same time. It builds trust. Even with folks that are not listening to your podcast, if they see you putting out a podcast every single Monday morning at five o'clock in the morning. They're going to see that and it's going to build trust Mm -hmm. and they can turn into clients or investors over time, even though they don't listen. Um, And then maybe you want to step it up. Like with this podcast, we started off doing two a week. Now we're doing three a week. We started out doing one. Did we? Yes. Well, initially, but uh, pretty much right after that, we went off too. Yeah, yeah. Um, But we had the right systems and process in place now to where we can do three a week and we can handle it. And so it's like every Tuesday, every Thursday, every Saturday. But you need the right systems and processes in place. Otherwise, you're not going to do it. Yep. And so start with one, see how you do it and stay consistent. Mm -hmm. And then I would say, lastly, you want to bring on, you need to figure out, are you going to, are you going to bring on guests? Are you going to talk solo? Are you going to do a little bit of both? For me personally, I don't like the solo stuff. Like I don't like having a conversation with myself. Uh, so I prefer bringing on guests. Like it's more engaging. It's more conversational. That's how I learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, you know, I'll do some solo stuff here and there, but like right now we're, we're having a conversation and that's for me, that's way more exciting than just like talking to myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say figure that out. And then lastly, you need to figure out, okay, are you going to do it virtually or in person? Uh, my old podcast was virtually is great. This one's in person. I will say the virtual podcast is very hard to build a relationship. Yep. Right. Like I had Grant Cardone on the old podcast. He never knew who the hell I was. Yep. Now he's been on this podcast in person. You know, we sit down before we record, we chat it up, we network, build a relationship. And guess what? Like now Grant's giving me his cell phone number. Like mm-hmm. he knows who I am, follows yep. me on Instagram. Like, you know, it's, you're building more of a, a meaningful relationship with all of your guests mm-hmm. um, when you're doing the in-person stuff and you never know where those opportunities are going to lead to. And I also feel like it's easier to bring on bigger name guests when you have an in-person setup. Yeah. It's not required. I wouldn't overthink it. You know, really like if you plan on starting a podcast, I would say do it. It's one of the biggest levers that you could do right now. I feel like it's kind of the cheat code for you know, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, anyone that's doing anything that involves marketing, growing their brand. I think having a podcast is huge. And then you can chop up the highlights and there's your short form content for social media. So good question. But um, I would say if you are thinking of starting a podcast, I think podcasting is still relatively young. Mm-hmm. And I think it's 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 still got a long ways to go. I think this is just the beginning. Yeah, definitely. I think those are good points. I think you nailed it. I think that consist- consistency is key. Because, you know, you build that trust and then just building those connections. um, You know, how many people do we get that email us or call us at like 
already know you and know your story. So it just makes um, connecting with them that much easier. So it yeah, I, I think that consistency is key and just uh, building that rapport with the listeners. 100%. And I will say that it brings opportunities that you don't even think is possible while, mm-hmm. while growing a podcast. So I think um, it's looking back, it's like, and that's why recently I told you, like, hey, we're, we're going to, we sat down with you and Parker and I said, hey, we're going to go from two to three episodes and yes, it's going to be a little bit more workload, but mm-hmm. it's going to pay dividends in the, in the long run, yep. you know? Yep. Anyways, that is it to conclude our Saturday edition, edition podcast. Appreciate all the listeners reaching out with their questions. And uh, Alex, as always, appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the questions, guys. Keep them coming. We love hearing from you. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you in the next one. Peace. Peace.